Will They Find a Home? Sponsored by Geico. Steve is intrigued by the paranormal. Otherworldly spirits really make a house a home, you know? Janice has different taste. I'd like my house to not be haunted. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle home and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Steve and Janice found a renovated Victorian that's only haunted from 9 to 5. Okay, wife's home. Y'all gotta bounce. Bye, Steve. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. From the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios, it's that Josh Arnold podcast. Holy cow, my goodness. Hello, how the heck are you? Been a couple weeks. But my gosh, if we're not back with a vengeance here in uh, the end of July. What is this, the last week of July? Boy, oh boy. Summer is uh, cruising along. And I heard this week about how some schools are starting. Ugh. Like, they started this week. There should be a law. There should be a federal law uh, that schools cannot... uh, start until after August 15th at the soonest, I'm going to say. Man, oh man. I don't care what our America's test scores are showing. Give everybody a summer, for Pete's sake. I would argue that uh, you give folks uh, enough of a a good summer, maybe the test scores will be better. Uh, uh, But, you know, I think morale has uh, can be a great thing. But what do I know? That's why I'm not on the, the boards of education or whatever. Hey, how are you? Uh, welcome back uh, to that Josh Arnold podcast. Uh, if you've been with us before, if not, uh, just welcome. My goodness. Good to, good to, uh, to see you. And, uh, oh, boy. Uh, I figured we'd make it special. A short break, a little vacation there. A two-weeker. <laughs> Uh, and I figured the, the the first show back, nice and special, and that's why uh, I invited this guest to uh, to come on. Oh man, just a terrific human being, does a lot of good and spreads a lot of cheer. And uh, oh well, I know uh, this person is beloved and rightfully so. Uh, my guest this week is you. That's right, it's you. Oh. How the heck are you? you? You look good. I hope you're feeling good as well. I'm doing fine. Um, and uh, the basement down here, it's, um, you know, it's summer. So it's kind of uh, not, I don't know, it's a little muggy down here. But the, the worst thing, the most annoying thing is of late, ants. Uh, and, and these aren't just uh, small ants. Uh, these things are monsters. They're huge. They're probably, oh, and I apologize. I, I just had a uh, cola and a plate of pub mix. So if I uh, um, accidentally burp or something throughout, that, that's what's happening. Cola and pub mix uh, is my my new favorite meal. But anyway, um, these ants are big. I mean, they're probably half an inch uh, long, not wide. Boy, that would be something, wouldn't it? And, uh, uh, yeah, they're just crawling around all over the place. You may even hear uh, uh, us talk about them on the big show because they've invaded the upstairs as well. They're in the studio wandering around. 
and uh, nobody's been bitten or anything like that. But, uh, boy, I hope these things don't bite. I mean, uh, uh, oh, I, you know what? I kind of do hope they bite. I think it would add a certain amount of dramatic tension to the uh, morning show <laughs> if we had to uh, just not be bitten uh, by things. Um, anyway, um, oh, let's get to this week's sponsor so that we can get on to the uh, the meat of the show here because we got a lot going on. But that's not to say that this, this sponsor isn't worth discussing. Of course it is. Um, I love uh, this week's sponsor. I'm happy they're aboard. Sponsoring the show this week, scissors. That's right. My goodness, what would you cut things with uh, had you no scissors? Well, uh, you you could tell me a knife or some other kind of tool. No, no, no. It just it's not going to work as well as scissors. And what are you going to do? You got let's say you got a, a piece of paper that you need cut uh, nicely. Well, you can try to do that one trick where you fold the paper and then tear it at the crease. Ah, that's iffy results, right? Not always that perfect. A little frayed, a little, eh, boy, just not 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 as crisp as scissors. And uh, you can't do that with hair. You know, that's no that's no option. If you don't have scissors, you need a haircut. You can't just fold your hair and then rip it at this. I mean, look, scissors are important. Uh, they're necessary, and, and uh, they're pretty satisfying, aren't they? When you have to cut into something, like construction paper, or uh, uh, maybe you're cutting coupons. You ever do that thing with uh, wrapping paper? Like if you're wrapping gifts around Christmas time or something, and instead of cutting, uh, you know, like like that all the way across, you like do one cut. And then you just slide the scissors across, and it it just slices through as opposed to closing the scissors. Oh boy, is that satisfying! Now you have to be careful there too, because that can te- the paper can tear, and oh no! But scissors uh, certainly a handy, handy tool. I should look up the history of scissors. See who the heck invented them. Um, the Scissor Sisters have a song I really like out there. Uh, if you want to Spotify that. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, and here's how good scissors are. They have scissors for every age. You got your safety scissors when you're, uh, you know, in kindergarten or whatever. And uh, and then through grade school. And, um, oh, boy. Remember getting the uh, scissors? Like your your teacher would have a, a, a tote um, or like a basket full of scissors, whatever, and you'd pass them around. And you would get stuck every now and again with a pair of scissors that, for whatever reason, <laughs> had been bathing in glue. Like, what the hell? Like, they're just so sticky and they wouldn't close all the way or they it would be real slow to cut. Yeah, man. Well, the scissors that uh, uh, we're going to celebrate this week are unsullied by glue. And uh, <laughs> they're uh, sharp as heck. And boy, do they cut. I hope you enjoy some scissors very, very soon. We have, uh, I, I looked at the uh, travel itinerary today because we got to get out of this basement and away from these ants for a little bit. We've got, uh, man, oh, man, is this is this right? Three stops today? Well, what are we waiting for? Let's hop on aboard the TJA Express. That's right. The Arn Track. The... Oh, 
What a sound. I have missed it. It's the world's only steam-powered monorail, of course. Boy, speaking of trains, real quick, I recently watched The General, the wonderful Buster Keaton movie. I mean, it, it is a marvel of a movie um, made in the, the mid-20s, the mid-1920s. And this thing is so funny and so action-packed. If you haven't seen The General, do yourself a favor. Buster Keaton, of course, a famous silent film comedian, and he eventually he did some stuff in the talkie era as well, but his, his what's considered his masterpieces were really done in the silent era, and um, the general, he does all of his own stunts, and I'm telling you, <laughs> there, like the special effects, are there are no like fake special effects. He, he, he was the Jackie Chan of his day, essentially, and they were playing with real trains. You have to watch this movie. It's so funny and crazy that these guys were running around real trains and <laughs> engineering them and stopping them. And uh, there's a, a huge climax that I won't spoil for you involving a train. I mean, they're playing with like real cannons and trains and and uh, <laughs> they're knocking. I mean, it's it's nuts. It's crazy. You've got to check it out. It's it's it, you'll laugh a lot. It's wonderful. The general. But anyway, uh, that it just reminded me of uh, you know the trains. Oh, I, I see here we've stopped in. Uh, oh my! If you're feeling a little, uh, you know, a little freaked out, like you're being watched or uh, something, it's because we found ourselves in Fearfield. That's right. Oh boy! Now you don't really have to be too afraid here in Fearfield, but we are going to discuss. Uh, we are going to discuss rather. <laughs> um, some things that might uh, frighten us here in Fearfield. Particularly phobias that are out there. And uh, I've got two today. My gosh, a double dose of Fearfield. The first one you've probably heard of. If you Google this word, you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on this. Um, there, I think there are a lot of memes based on this phobia. And uh, it is a creepy one. It's weird. I mean... The levels of phobia for this one vary. You might just look at it and go, oh, that's off-putting. But other people are like legitimately get sick or uh, like to the, their stomachs or they get they get so, so frightened and grossed out. It's called trypophobia, T-R-Y-P-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. And uh, it's the fear of irregular patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps I have a theory about this phobia, and you may not, you may be going, well, all right, we got, I listened to your description, but it doesn't make, so if you look at something, like, have you ever seen uh, the inside of a pomegranate? It's um, just all these, it's an, it's exactly what that definition, it's an irregular pattern of like these dents and holes and there's seats, so it's like bumpy and it can really creep people out big time. In fact, I know a um, trypophobe who can't even look at potholes. Just it, it 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 freaks them out so bad when they just see uh, like a hole or a dent or something that shouldn't or or a bump that sh- is just sort of unnatural. It's just what the heck. I have a feeling that this stems from. Disease that uh, we all have a fear, um, an inherent fear, sort of in our collective unconscious, 
of uh, sickness. And so when you see things like um, a, cl- a cluster of bumps or a cluster of holes, it, it the brain, for, for whatever reason, uh, associates it with illness and disease and something wrong, and, and that's why we're so put off by it. But look up, look up trypophobia and look at some of the pictures. They will, I think they will give you the willies. I mean, it's, it's, uh, ugh, it, it, it's, it's a bizarre thing. And uh, that's the first phobia we'll talk about here in Fearfield this trip. But the second phobia we'll talk about while here in Fearfield is an interesting one. I had never heard of this, uh, but apparently it's, it's real. And I know there was a, well... Uh, a Twilight Zone that's that kind of touched on this phobia. I guess it's a little different. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. A bibliophobia. Now, you guys could probably figure out uh, just from the sound of it, bibli, typically, biblio, uh, a book-related, right? Um, a, a bibliophobia is the fear of running out of reading material. Isn't that interesting? I... I, I it would be difficult. I mean, this this is, as a lot of phobias are, completely irrational. I mean, if you just walk into a bookstore, you could go, well, I'm never running out of reading material. That's impossible. Um, so it is an illogical phobia, but a phobia nonetheless. And the Twilight Zone I was referencing, of course, was the crazy, one of the most famous ones where Burgess Meredith is, uh, all he wants to do is read his books, and he can't. He's being bothered by uh, by people and by situations, and he just complains and complains that he, oh, I just I wish there was time for me to read all my books. I don't have time to read all my books. And uh, finally, his wish comes true. He wakes up one day, essentially, and uh, nobody's around. He's the only one left on the planet, seemingly. And uh, he says, "My gosh." I can finally do it. I can read my books. And, uh, well, <laughs> his glasses fall off and shatter. And uh, <laughs> he just looks at his broken glasses and he says, but there was time now. I had time. And, uh, boy, what a, what a terrible irony that is. You can't see to read anymore. And now you can't go to an eye doctor because they've all been disappeared, for a lack of a better word. <laughs> So a bibliophobia and that, uh, boy, trypophobia. Check those out. Boy, oh, boy. Well, let's get out of Fearfield and move on to our next stop, which I don't think we've visited before. I've been there, but I don't think I've uh, visited with you. Ah. My goodness. Welcome, please, to... Anatomy Acres. That's right. Anatomy Acres here in this wonderful town. You might notice that everybody's wearing uh, sort of lab coats and nurses' uniforms and uh, uh, scrubs, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> that's what nurses' uniforms would be, Josh. I Look, I know. I couldn't remember scrubs right away. Sorry. So... <laughs> The reason everybody's wearing that is because here in Anatomy Acres, we learn about things medical or uh, biological or physiological or physiobiological or metaphysibiologically, we learn. And uh, (laughs) uh, boy, did you guys, there's no way you missed me for two weeks. Anyway, 
Uh, Anatomy Acres. Uh, we uh, this word was sent in by the same person who told me about a bibliophobia. Actually, Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, I'd never. I was not familiar with this, so I'm happy. I'm always happy to learn new words and new things. This is pandiculation. Pan, P-A-N, dick, all right, D-I-C, ulation, U-L-A-T-I-O-N, pandiculation. What a weird, I can't believe, occasionally we'll come across these words and go, there's a word for that. How about that? Well, this is one of those cases. Pandiculation is the way your torso stretches when you're yawning or like when you're tired. So, you know, you get a good yawn and then, oh boy, you really, you kind of push out your chest and stretch out your torso and, uh, man, that's called pandiculation. How about that? And Andrew gives a suggestion here. He says, it might happen during some comedy, but pandiculation never occurs during Josh Arnold's podcast or stand-up. How about that? Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you. <laughs> pandiculation boy oh boy who knew that's what i say who knew <laughs> you know <laughs> i received an email recently i don't have it uh, with me <laughs> but this very nice lady uh, was writing in <laughs> talking about how she really enjoyed the podcast and everything and then she said you know your <laughs> your podcasts uh Start off real slow and boring, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she used, I think she did use those words. She said, your podcast starts off real slow and boring, and then they get interesting. Do you do that on purpose? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, the answer is no. That's not my goal. I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to lull you into a uh, state of boredom before I uh, ramp things up <laughs> at the end, but. I can totally see, particularly uh, this week, why you're asking that. So, <laughs> pandiculation, I think it's fascinating. I hope you do as well. And, uh, well, we've got uh, another stop here uh, coming up. Let's hit the tracks and move on down to, uh, oh, boy, one of my favorite spots for sure. You know, I'm, oh my gosh, if we haven't made our way to Music Junction, I don't know where we've made our way to. So, <laughs> I love Music Junction. Don't you love talking about music and listen? you know, uh, telling your friends about, oh my gosh, I, I discovered this band and this person and uh, I, you should give it a listen and sharing your new uh, likes. Oh man, just great. And reminiscing about some of your favorite songs and revisiting those and talking about them well i want to try something this week all right uh i'm gonna be totally honest here i'm gonna throw some caution to the wind the uh, the rules about podcasts and uh, copyrighted material are a little fuzzy and so i've always erred on the side of well i just won't bother um i'll just i'll, I'll stay out of it i'll stay out of it and uh, just kind of you know work around it well i've I, i'm I, I've, I've i've changed my mind all right there's a new song out that I'm going to play, that we're going to play for you, okay? And um, and then we're going to take a look at the lyrics after we listen to the song, because this song, 
I, you know, this. I, I, I hope this doesn't seem like a trite point, but um, back in the day, like, you know, centuries ago, poetry was the thing. It was uh, uh, you would read poems and share them. And uh, um, and now music, you know, within the last century or so, uh, I mean, music has always been around, but is sort of the modern day poetry. We we treat it as though, as uh, people back you know years, obviously centuries ago, would treat poetry. It's 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 the it's it's so popular that uh, this it's sort of we use it to express ourselves. We share it um, for the stories and for the sentiments. And uh, boy, I, I I'm not joking. My producer just uh, gave uh, Jason over there just moved his neck and head like he was so bored <laughs> that he had to do something physical to wake himself up. Anyway, we all uh, we all love music. I, what I want to do is play this song and then look at it kind of as if it were a poem because the lyrics, I think, are so stellar, and uh, we'll, we'll explore it. But right now, if you would, uh, please listen to one of my new favorite songs. It's Canola Fields by the wonderful James McMurtry. I was thinking about you crossing southern Alberta Canola fields on a July day About the same chartreuse as that 69 bug You used to drive around San Jose You never knew where my old white Lincoln might take you Party on wheels with suicide doors Bring the kids and the dogs and your grandma too We always had room for more Till that white knuckle ride back from Santa Cruz Second best surfer on the central coast Had you wrapped up all the way back to Los Gatos And I could've cut his throat And it wasn't like we were an item to start with It had no basis in fact but the whiskey could push me to sudden extremes I don't want to think about that I don't want to think about that Take my hand, Marie Take a death grip on some part of me Keep me from drifting in the greater scheme kids and careers and a vague sense of order and busting apart at the seams I heard you switched coast moved in with your sister I doubt you'd have called it familial bliss we met up in Brooklyn before it went hipster you carried your keys in your fist then away back corner of a crosstown bus we were hiding out under my hat Cashing in on a 30-year crush You can't be young and do that You can't be young and do that Take my hand, Marie Take a 
Crossing southern Alberta Canola fields at harvest time Look like tumbleweeds All raked up into rows And brown rusty contour lines There's not much moving On the romance radar Not that I'm craving it all that much But I still need to feel Every once in a while The warmth of a smile and a touch In a way back corner of a Crosstown bus, we were hiding out under my hat Cashing in on a 30-year crush You can't be young and do that 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 Take my hand, Marie goodness james 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 yeah i've mentioned james mcmurtry before and uh he's just one of my absolute favorites and this song i heard for the first time maybe a month ago when it was released his new album comes out in a few weeks and uh oh my gosh this thing's great and then i really started listening to it more and went oh no this is a this (laughs) is more than great in my opinion if you didn't you know upon your first uh, listening uh, just now if it's not your style, totally fine. Um, uh, you know, I would never argue with somebody who said they didn't like something. It, it, you know, everybody's tastes are different. But this thing kills me. I mean, it just, it, it makes my heart swell and ache. And uh, and and the lyrics have a lot to do with it. I, I just think it's, it's perfect. And I think it really can be examined. Like, uh, if you've ever taken... A poetry course or a literature course or whatever, um, and I, I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. But um, I always loved when we would really analyze uh, the written written work. And um, while this wasn't meant to be read, it was meant to be listen listened to. Uh, I still think it's worth that sort of analysis, and I'd, I'd like to do that with you. Um, Boy, and instead of like playing some and then pausing and then playing and pausing and talking, I'm just going to read the lyrics and kind of talk about it. Because another thing I was thinking about was sometimes we take lyrics for granted. I remember having a discussion with uh, um, a buddy of mine about a Cheryl. There was a Cheryl Crow song on when it came, and this is when it came out. Um, oh, hell, I don't remember the name of the song, but there's a lyric, uh, maybe it's, 
every day is a winding road. I think that might be what it is. And there's a lyric in there where uh, she's discussing a guy, and he and uh, uh, she finds out uh, he has a daughter they call Easter. She was born on a Tuesday night, and my buddy goes, "Those those lyrics are so dumb. That doesn't mean anything." And I go, "What are you talking about? Those are like my favorite." Some of my favorite lyrics in that song. And he's like, what? And what I loved about it was just the small notions within those lyrics. So uh, he had a daughter they called Easter. Um, so you might think, oh, uh, why would you never name your kid Easter? She must have been born on Easter Sunday. And then he goes, and then she continues, she was born on a Tuesday night. So it couldn't have been Easter. It was a Tuesday night. So then there's this whole story there that we don't get, but that we're allowed to fill in ourselves. Why would they? Why was her name Easter? She was born on a Tuesday. What could this mean to these people? And I, I, I'm always fascinated by those little details that let us color in what, whatever we like. I think it's wonderful. Now, this song has some of that, but it's mostly... <laughs> Uh, a kind of a straight story, and it just, uh, it's, oh boy, the way that it's its told is so wonderful. So it starts out, I was thinking about you crossing southern Alberta, which already suggests, uh, well, we know we know where that is. He's in uh, Canada. So he probably just had a, uh, a gig, if we assume that this is James McMurtry in Calgary, or, uh, you know, he's on, he's on tour or, or something. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh, he's he's on the road, Canola Fields on a July day. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you've been lucky enough to ever see uh, fields of canola, but it's stunning. It's gorgeous. It's it's um man oh man. There it's some of the like the brightest yellow and uh, shades of hints of green, and you just uh, you 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 just want to stare at it forever. And of course, they're in full bloom. On a July day, but but what that evokes is he goes on to say about the same chartreuse. So yes, a yellowish green as that sixty nine bug used to drive around San Jose. So we find out a lot just in that one line. Seeing the canola fields, it brings back memories of her. Why her car was essentially the same color. So why do we need to know? Why does McMurtry inform us? that she drove a 69 bug and she used to drive it around San Jose for a couple of reasons. The first is that's what she did. All right. We just have to assume the fact, the, uh, the, the fact is she had that car, but what does that car and that area tell us about, um, her? It tells us she may have been a bit of a hippie, right? A yellow, uh, Volkswagen bug driving around the San Jose area. Um, Sure, uh, maybe uh, sort of a uh, a free spirit, kind of a hippie chick. So we learned a little bit about her through those details. And in the second verse, he says, Never knew where my old white Lincoln might take you. Party on wheels with suicide doors. Listen to that. He, he, he describes his car as a, as a party on wheels, but he throws in the detail about suicide doors. And I think for... Uh, Two reasons here. One, again, having those suicide doors was just a fact of the car. The suicide doors are the doors that open the opposite way of the regular doors. So, yes, we know that the Lincoln had that, that it was, it was a, also a big car. But 
the word suicide is so strong that all of a sudden, okay, there's going to be there there might be a hint of pain or sadness um or something ominous in this story. It's it, it, it the suggestion is there through justice by describing the doors. He says bring the kids and the dogs and your grandma too. We always had room for more. Hey, so he's that was probably a joke that they had. Oh man, my car, yeah, we're taking my Lincoln, bring everybody. The kids, the dogs, grandma, there's always room. It's a party on wheels. So then uh till until that white knuckle ride back from Santa Cruz, second best surfer on the central coast. So he's in the car with her and so is this second best surfer and that's so great because you know that <laughs> McMurtry or his character here uh <laughs> didn't know he was this this guy was the second best surfer this guy let them know he was the second best surfer you just know that that's the case on the central coast he goes on to say had you wrapped up all the way back to Los Gatos so uh if you've ever Boy, I think that's 17 there. So you're driving around 17. So he calls it a white-knuckle ride because 17's kind of windy or whatever. It's about a half hour or so from the coast to Los, Los Gatos. I'm gonna say. So, uh, yeah, but it's also white-knuckle because this guy, this second-best surfer, had her wrapped up all the way back to Los Gatos. So wrapped up is such a great way to describe it. Is does he does this second best surfer have her wrapped up in in a towel? They were just on the coast in the water, uh, wrapped up in his arms, wrapped up in conversation, and so therefore James is, can't even talk with her. This girl that he uh, you know presumably likes, we already kind of get that feeling. So it's a white knuckle ride because the road's tough, but also McMurtry, as we come to find out, is probably pissed because he, he finishes that that verse with "I could have cut his throat." Yeah, that's you're you're flirting and uh, talking with and sitting with uh, the girl I like. Um, and so he goes on to say, and it wasn't like we were an item to start with. He knows, hey, we're not he has she has every right to talk to this guy and he has every right essentially to hold her in his arms or whatever. We're not together. It had no basis in fact, but the whiskey could push me to sudden extremes. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. He says it twice. So we've all been there. You have a crush on somebody. Uh, it's it's seemingly unrequited. Another person comes into the picture. Yeah, geez. You might uh, imbibe. You might overindulge in alcohol, and it might get you acting a fool a little. You know, maybe you punch a wall, or maybe you say something you didn't really mean to say. Or, but he doesn't want to think about it. those days. Look. No reason to think about the behavior that he's ashamed of. And then we get to the chorus. And this first line of the chorus, take my hand, Marie. We learn her name right there. Marie. Marie. She's the one who drove that yellow bug. She's the one who was talking to that douchebag surfer (laughs) that whole trip. Marie. Oh, so take my hand, Marie, take a death grip. And there's that death imagery again. Because love can be painful. And and uh, these words like suicide and death, 
They they uh, they all help uh, build on that suggestion that hey yeah love is great but boy it can hurt when it's not going right. So take a death grip on some part of me. So at first he says take my hand, and then he just says anything. Just hold on to me as tightly as you can. Take a death grip on some part of me. And I, I bet we could all assume it's his heart. So think about that. Somebody is, when you love somebody, they have a hold of your heart. But if it's not going as well, it probably feels, it. well, we know it does. It feels like a death grip. Man, she's got a hold of my heart, and it's, she could kill me. Keep me from drifting far out to sea or I'll be lost out there. She's the only thing that can keep him grounded right now. He's going to, he's, boy, oh boy, she, he needs her. Man, and again, this sort of death imagery, I'm going to be lost at sea. So we go, we, that's the first chorus, and then we break into verse five. We all filtered away with the days getting shorter, seeking our place in the greater scheme. So they're growing apart. They're growing apart. But I love the way he said filtered away. With the days getting shorter. Now, we know what that means. It means they're getting older. The day isn't as long as it used to be. Kids and careers and a vague sense of order. Boy, how about that? Well, what do you think that means, Josh? A vague sense of order. Well, uh, we all, in, in our adulthood, feel like there are things we should be doing Feel like there are ways we should be living. Feel like every day there's something, oh, I got to accomplish this, I got to do that. But there are no hard and strict rules, but we all sort of uh, implement them on ourselves, don't we? We all sort of go, oh, man, I have to get this done today. Uh, do you? Well, I'm an adult. I got to get these grown-up things done. So that's, it's just, uh, boy, what a, what a terrific way to, in four words, vague sense of order, nail that. Busting apart at the seams, and we all know how that feels. Boy, we have kids and we have careers and this vague sense of order. We're going to fall apart here. We're busting apart at the seams. We've got a lot going on and, uh, you know, torn in all different directions. And then he hears about her again. He says, I heard you switched coasts. So from the west to the east, moved in with your sister. I doubt she'd have called it familial bliss. So just in that little line. She moved in with her sister, but <laughs> they may not have the best relationship. They don't totally get along for whoever's for whatever reason. I doubt she'd have called it familial bliss. And it also tells us that, hey, he knows her and he's a, he's a part of her. He, if he knows his sister and he knows their relationship, they're close or, or they were close. We met up in Brooklyn before it went hipster. So a while ago. Brooklyn's been hipster uh, 10-plus years probably. You carried your keys in your fist. And this is that's one of those lyrics I love that my buddy who did not care for those Sheryl Crow lyrics would go, what is that? why say that? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you why I say that. You carried your keys in your fist. He noticed that. What does it mean when you carry your keys in your fist? She's in New York City. She's living with her sister who doesn't necessarily want her there. She's a mix of uncomfortable and probably scared and probably annoyed. Of course she's carrying her keys in her fist. It's what she has. She doesn't want to to um, lose them. She doesn't she's she doesn't want them to be taken away. She doesn't want to accidentally drop them and have hassles and everything. It just it it 
it speaks to her state of being that she carried them in her fist. He could have said she flipped them around her her uh, index finger. What would that suggest? Carefree, loose, happy? Well, that's not how she was. She was carrying her keys in her fist. And then he, he goes on to say, in a back corner of a crosstown bus, we were hiding out under my hat. So, he's obviously wearing his cowboy hat. He's a country singer, for gosh sake. His father, Larry McMurtry, if, if this is James, wrote Lonesome Dove. He's one of the greatest novelists of our time, and he's he, 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 his westerns are, are masterpieces. So, uh, we're hiding out under my hat. What do you think they're doing under that hat? He's being a gentleman here, all right? <laughs> yes, they're talking closely. They have to be close. They're under his hat. So, they're hidden in the back of the bus, hiding under his hat. So, it's, it's safe to assume... They're kissing as well. My gosh, how could they not be? Talking that closely, seeing each other after such a long time, and that's where we find out cashing in on a 30-year crush. Boy, oh boy, what a line. It's happening. He's had a crush on her uh, since he was um, a young man in California in his Lincoln and now it's 30 years later, and they've met back up, and they're finally cashing in on that crush. Man, oh, man. Or at least he is. I mean, she must like him, too. But this is his, this is his crush. And then the line that I think, this is so good. I, I, can't, I, I can't get over it. He says, cashing in on a 30-year crush, you can't be young and do that. How about that? How often do you hear that sort of sentiment? We always hear, we're inundated with, oh, to be young again. Oh, to be young and be free and be able to do anything you want. Oh, when I was young, I could do that. Oh, I wish I had the same body I had back then. I wish I had the same energy. If I were only young again, I could do this. I could do these things. Not this. You can't be young and cash in on a 30-year crush. That takes experience and time and, and, and longing And, oh, my gosh. And so here it is. Here's something. Well, I'd like to see you try this 16-year-old who uh, who can almost who can do all these other things. You can't do this. You can't cash in on a 30-year crush. Do you know how how great this feels? (laughs) You can't be young and do that. And he says it twice. And why wouldn't he? Man, oh, man. And then we get back to this chorus. Take my hand, Marie. Take a death grip on some part of me. Keep me from drifting far out to sea or I'll be lost out there. Man. And then we have a wonderful guitar solo, which in this case, it's not only beautiful, but it kind of suggests a passage of time. And uh, we know that when he starts... The next verse, he says, I was thinking about you crossing southern Alberta, canola fields at harvest time. So, he's back in southern Alberta. He's back on the road. But it's a different time of year. It's harvest time. It's autumn. It's fall. He says, canola fields at harvest time look like tumbleweeds all raked up into rows. Brown, rusty contour lines. Quite a difference from the chartreuse uh, that he saw 
that one July. Um, so we know the time has passed, of course, and tonally things are different. Uh, they're dying. Things are dying off. And then this verse, which just slays me. I mean, uh, I've listened to the song, uh, and 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 this one, bring, this verse can bring me to tears. Has, um, there's not much moving on the romance radar. What a way to put that! How fascinating. Uh, there are blips out there, <laughs> but not much room in, moving on the romance radar. And you could argue. That, that that sort of military imagery goes back to wo- love being a battle, being warlike, being tough, having death involved, having pain involved, loss. There's not much moving on the romance radar. Not that I'm craving it all that much, but I still need to feel every once in a while the warmth of a smile and a touch. Oh, geez. This guy's out on the road. He, um, you know, he had this, he, he cashed in on this 30-year crush, and now he's back out there again alone. And he's doing okay. He's fine. But yeah, every now and again, the warmth of a smile and a touch. So you get the emotional and the physical there all in one simple sentence. The warmth of a smile and a touch. And then what does he do? <laughs> he goes back to remembering what ha- what happened in that bus? He says, then way uh, 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 in a way back corner of a crosstown bus, we were hiding out under my hat, cashing in on a 30-year crush. You can't be young and do that. Boy, you sure can't. You can't be young and do that. And he says it four times. And that's, hey, it's easy to go, okay, he's really hammering that point home. That's essentially what he's trying to tell us. By sharing this story, he's telling himself and he's telling us, look, getting older, uh, yeah, uh, these memories are important. These feelings, uh, the people from our, in our past are important. And catching up with them can be wonderful, but uh, things do move on. But remember, experience and age matters. It's not something to pity or to fear. It's something to celebrate. Because, hell, cashing in on a 30-year crush, you can't be young and do that. You have to live a while. And then he, he finishes the song off with that chorus, Take My Hand, Marie. He's, he's just living in, the, he's living in this memory. He's living in this desire. Take a death grip on some part of me. Keep me from drifting far out to sea, or I'll be lost out there. Or I'll be lost out there. I'll be lost out there. He doesn't say or that third time. He just leaves it. I'll be lost out there. Reiterating, hey, Marie, keep me from drifting too far away. Keep me close to you. But but, but the fact that he omits the or in that last line, I'll be lost out there, suggests he's out there, kind of lost again. He's going through southern Alberta for, who knows, the 25th time in his life. And uh, he's out on the road doing his thing, but he's a little bit lost out there because that moment with Marie was fleeting. It's gone. It's done. You may only be able to cash in on a 30-year crush once, and he did it, and that's that. 
And uh, we have to take his word for it at the end there. I'll be lost out there. Boy, this song just kills me. And uh, I look, on your own, we're not going to play it again here. Give it, give it a, a second listen. Um, and again, if you you've already decided, hey, I, I, it wasn't for me, and even uh, and you went and Josh, your uh, interpretation wasn't for me, and <laughs> none of this was for me. That's totally okay. I appreciate you um, uh, being here with me while while I did that. But um, if you are so inclined, Canola Fields by James McMurtry, and then then treat yourself to his wonderful redneck opus called Choctaw Bingo, uh, which I've talked about before on the show. It's uh, it's it's lighter and, and a little rockier and uh, very funny. So it's a, it's a great... Ah, James, I look forward to your new album, and I, I, I'd love to meet him. I'd love to... Uh... Oh, boy. Just a terrific artist. Okay, uh, some questions this week I'd like to get to. Uh, some Some good ones came in. Over uh, the slight uh, vacation, um, let's see here. Uh, who is this now? Brett. Brett says, uh, hey, uh, do you write down a rough outline for each podcast? Uh, the answer is yes, I do. Um, but I often mess it up uh, in the actual recording of the podcast. <laughs> So, yes, I do. I do tend to, and I, I always get sidetracked when I'm talking and things, I start talking about something else and uh, or I forget some. So, yes, I do have a rough outline, but it, it, believe me, it is, it's rough. Um, oh, you went on to say uh, you had big time wiffle ball games as a young man. Oh, dude, was there anything better? And you guys had tricks. You would cut off the barrel of the bat, fill it with rolled newspaper. <laughs> And then use a tennis ball because the wiffle ball wouldn't last very long. Well, sure, if you're if you're essentially corking the bat, the wiffle ball will get destroyed. Then we would throw the tennis ball at a runner to record an out much like kickball. Did the Arnold brothers have any special rules or quirks? We absolutely did. For a while there, we didn't stuff the um, the uh, wiffle ball bats, but we did play with a tennis ball. And then uh, we just got too good and had to go back to the wiffle ball because we were hitting houses too hard and we <laughs> so uh, and plus we realized the fun of the wiffle ball is in the pitching i mean you can do so many crazy things with a wiffle ball when you're pitching uh, i'm not particularly good at it but my, my brothers were and and are and, and uh, so it was a lot of fun that just made the game more fun now we didn't throw the ball at each other because we didn't run bases we had if the ball landed in certain areas it was a single and then, uh, I th- you know what? We only had singles and home runs. That's what we had. So uh, if the ball was, if it landed uh, in fair territory, um, it was a single no matter where it landed, uh, so long as it was fair. Um, and then if it hit, if it landed on a deck, it was a home run. So it was kind of unfair because our deck would stick out. And uh, if you hit just to the right of the deck, it would go way f- farther than the deck, but it would hit the grass and be counted as a single. <laughs> so you also had to be accurate. You had to hit it on the deck. If you hit it on the neighbor's deck, which would happen, um, 
it was uh, f- that was in fair territory. That was also just a home run. It wasn't considered like a two run home run or anything. So we always just kept track of these the uh, pretend runners on base with every single that was hit. Like, okay, you have two on, and uh, yeah, boy, what a that was so fun. We still play, and uh, it's been a while, but man, I love uh, love wiffle ball. Also, he says, do you think you might incorporate a joke of the week into your podcast like Larry Miller used to? You know, I'd love to. I'm already borrowing so much from the Larry Miller podcast that uh, 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 because he inspired me. And um, uh, I haven't like blatantly stolen any of his segments, but my <laughs> my outline is very similar to his. <laughs> but a joke of the week, you know, I, I'd like to think that if I did it, Larry would. Uh, yeah, oh, good. Somebody else is doing it because he's not doing his podcast anymore. Maybe I will. I'd love to tell jokes, you know, some fun, fun street jokes or whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll keep thinking of, about that. Diane writes in. Oh, this is about the the Bob and Tom show. I've always felt like the show, um, is just the group of you talking and joking, uh, about various stories, letters, and guests. However, it's been mentioned several times that you have writers on the show, such as Jeff Oske. What exactly are they writing? Do they choose the content um, of the show? Okay, so here's what happens. Um, Essentially, they're just uh, joke. um, They'll just submit jokes that they think are funny uh, to uh, our stories. So, uh, and the only one that really... Usually they'll email Tom in the middle of uh, a show. If we're doing a news story, they'll email Tom, hey, because uh, Jeff's here every morning and he has an intranet with uh, Tom and them. So if Jeff um, thinks there's a, a joke, because he's a really funny dude, if he wants to include a joke or whatever, he'll just send it over to Tom. And then usually Tom will just tell it. He won't go, hey, Jeff just sent me this real quick because it's clunky. He'll just go, oh, hey, by the way, uh, did you know? And, and then he'll he'll add the joke. So that's that's what we mean. Also, some of the written bits have writers. So the uh, Dick Hitswaters, the Larry Kings, the um, stuff like that. Uh, th- those uh, that's that's what we're referring to there. So some jokes throughout the show. I don't see any. I I don't have a computer or whatever. So uh, no jokes are ever sent to me. They're not sent to Christy. They're not sent to Chick. Um, and they're not, yeah. And then Ace's jokes he finds on his own. He may tell you that he writes them. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. Thank you. Good question, uh, Diane. Brandon. Oh, good dude, this Brandon. He says, a uh, couple questions. Do you go to open mics or pop in at uh, other venues or clubs um, to practice your material or new stuff? Man, I mean, that used to be a weekly thing. I'd hit numerous open mics before I joined the morning show because stand-up was my primary uh, career. And uh, yes, absolutely, when you go to an open mic, the idea is to polish your uh, current material and to try out uh, new material. And that's exactly what I would do. Now, I would usually do a tried-and-true joke uh, to open with and to close with um, to to get a, a laugh up front and to get the audience's um, trust and then uh, close with a, a, a tried and true joke that would, that typically works to give the audience a good laugh um, 
at the end and to keep the momentum of the open mic going so that I don't go, well, that was a new joke and it sucked and then leave. And then the next poor comedian has to come up and dig out of my hole. So uh, I would always try to open a little strong and close a little strong and then do the uh, stuff I was working on, whether it be new or or semi-new material in the middle. I Man, I have not been hitting open mics because of uh, my schedule. Where I'm at, a lot of the open mics start at 9 p.m., and I'm, I've am i already been in bed and uh, 45 minutes deep into a Blue Bloods by that, by that time. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I, I can't do it anymore. Uh, so, um, I try out <laughs> new material uh, on a Friday or Saturday at my shows, and what I'll do is I usually do them, uh, I'll, I'll put a new bit or a new joke in between Two old older bits that work. So as almost like tent poles. So if the middle sags, it's the whole thing isn't going to collapse. I've got these tent poles on either side to keep things uh, in the air. So um, great question, though. I, I, I do miss doing open mics. They're a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And uh, uh, yes, but uh, so let's say, uh, in fact, this is a good time for me to mention. I'll be in Des Moines this weekend at the Funny Bone. Friday and Saturday, you will hear me try some brand new material out during that show. Ideally, if all goes well, you won't know what the new material was. Uh, (laughs) And uh, if it doesn't go well, you will absolutely know what the new material was because it will be the stuff that was met with pure silence. (laughs) So, Anyway, tickets are available at thatjoshcharnel.com. Uh, just go to my schedule, and there's a link there, a little button there for to go get tickets. Des Moines, Iowa, this Friday and Saturday, the Funny Bone. Please come out and see me. And the rest of my schedule is up, too. I'll be in Louisville and Toledo and the Cincinnati area and Peoria and all, all kinds of places. Uh, so uh, check that out. And, uh, oh, this is not a question, but this is a uh, another sort of mad lib that came in. Remember when Zachary, a few months ago, sent in a, a little story he had written that incorporated, like, all the vocabulary station words that we had done? Well, he's done it again, my friends. And I would love to share it with you. It's very clever. And uh, let's see how many of these words you remember uh, and if you remember their definitions. So, uh, Zachary, thank you. This is uh, his latest story. A ranivorous craving sent me to the lake looking for frogs among the littoral. As I approached the cattails growing from the littoral, my eye caught my favorite ecdizziest walking toward a huge bonfire where a crowd had gathered. My craving for frog legs had led me toward a bacchanal where dipsomania ruled. I couldn't believe my luck that I had an opportunity to party with these people and get a chance to talk to the ecdizziest I only knew as Summer. Approaching her under any other circumstances would have been a bugaboo, and maybe it was just boyish bravado, but I was determined to talk to Summer and learn her real name. I settled into the party by grabbing a drink from the coolers and joined in a sprunt happening nearby. I tossed my beer when I saw Summer running around the haystacks and made sure it was me that was chasing her and not anyone else. After a few minutes, the weather began to turn nimbus and a heavy breeze started blowing through the party. At first, the wind wasn't enough to disturb our conversation. 
We talked casually about our fears. I with my arachabuterophobia and Summer with her submechanophobia. I got very excited when Summer at least acted impressed that I'm a published author. However, my decision to omit the fact that I special <laughs> that I specialize in works of holography likely kept her from thinking I was a total nerd. Unfortunately, any chemistry we had was blown away by Amanda Green. I don't recall how or why I brought up proper use of an interrobang, but Summer, of course, heard something else due to the wind picking up, causing her to misunderstand me. She threw her drink at me, pelting my face with ice. I was so stunned at the time that I couldn't react to the ejectamenta. I left the party without learning Summer's real name, and without any frog legs. Maybe I can apologize for the misunderstanding by writing Summer a nice billy do. Oh, my gosh. Zachary, bravo to you, my friend. Very well done. Excellent story. <laughs> so fun to be reminded of some of those words, especially sprunt, of course, and... Uh, <laughs> The fact that you are a uh, uh, that you write holography made me laugh a lot. If you remember, <laughs> that is a book or writing about salt. <laughs> what a strange, strange thing! Hey, this week uh, here is uh, something I would like for all of us to work on. My. My favorite thing about doing this podcast is I like to share, as you can tell, things that I enjoy and things that I love, and and I really just uh, want to be positive and and uh, share positive things. And uh, I, uh, one of my best friends told me a trick that his uh, his therapist taught him recently, and I think it's something we could all try. It's pretty cool. And uh, he swears by it. He says it absolutely works. It might sound a little uh, bizarre or cheesy to you at first. But then I tried it, and boy, it's it's really something here. And uh, I, I say give this a shot this week. Look, we're all uh, at work. We're all at things like grocery stores, uh, department stores. We're all sitting in traffic. We're all watching... Well, I'm not anymore, but you you all watch news, I'm sure, things like that. Um, let's, I guess what I'm saying is a lot of negativity out there, all right? We all know the person at work that just can't help themselves. They love being negative, um, and uh, they're not bad people. They just tend to focus on negative things and, and, and share negative stuff. And, uh, you know, same with uh, some, there are grumpy people out there and there are grouchy people in traffic, all that. Well... What my um, one of my best friends uh, was taught was to not just ignore negativity and try to block it out, but to literally push it away. When you, when somebody, let's say, in uh, the office, you can just hear them talking negatively about whatever, just in a negative way. Just sort of take a second and put your hands up, palms out in front of your body. And push the negativity away. And in your head, go, uh, you can say whatever you like. Get out of here, negativity. Or, I am pushing you away. Or, there's only room for positive thoughts here. Push it away. And I think you'll be surprised at how effective it is. Uh, It's pretty great. Push away 
the negativity. You don't need it. Life is too short. This is all about positive energy and celebrating things that we like and love. Okay? So, sometime this week, you're going to, unfortunately, you're going to be faced with something negative this week and uh, push it away. Now, obviously, if like your spouse or somebody is saying, hey, can I tell you a story? This this bummed me out and I really would like to talk to you about it. <laughs> Don't physically push away their negativity as they're trying to confide in you and looking for. <laughs> but you know what I mean. If you sense a little negativity around you, push it away. Get it out of there. All right. Well, uh, as I said, I am back on tour. Uh, check out my website, thatjosharnold.com. Uh, the schedule's up there. You can find out where I'll be. And, uh, oh, this just announced next month. I, bye! Bye!